0: Hey, remain standing, please. Remain standing. You think the worship team has done a good job this morning? Yeah. How many of you believe that Lord is great? He is great. Yeah. So we're in a series called Encounter that we started last week, and the whole idea behind this series is that we would encounter God. So if you're here this morning and you don't believe or you're skeptical or you doubt or maybe you've been hurt by the church or... Whatever it may be, I want you to know that you're in a safe place. Where We will meet you where you are. We're going to judge you, not going to condemn you. You're welcomed here. And and what we know is this, is that it does not matter how good the experience is here. I mean, we want you to have a good experience. We want you to be oohed and awed by the lights. We want you to feel the, the, I like to feel the bass kick in my chest when he's over there driving that thing. I want you to feel it. But listen, if you don't feel the presence of God, it is in vain. It means nothing. So this morning, we're in part two of Encounter. And we're just looking at different encounters of Jesus and God throughout the whole Bible. We're in John chapter four this morning. Verse one, it says, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees he was making excuse me, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, verse two, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, listen, this is interesting, his disciples were, that's, listen, not getting the whole truth has never stopped a religious person from spreading a rumor, amen? I mean, they weren't even right, and they were still ticked off. Verse three, It says he left Judea and went again to Galilee. Verse 4. Now hang on to this. He had to travel through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Now, if you don't understand what's going on, don't get lost. Basically, it's just a geographical reference, okay? Just a geographical reference. Verse 6. Jacob's well, literally a well, it's a well that Jacob from the Old Testament had dug. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, worn out from his journey, because not only was he fully God, he was fully human. He understands what you're going through this morning. The Bible says that he was tested in every way, but he did not sin. So you can trust his perfect love, that he knows what you're going through. He's not a God that cannot relate to us. Jacob's well was there and Jesus went out from his journey. He sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening, verse seven a woman of Samaria came to draw water give me a drink Jesus said to her for his disciples had gone into town to buy food how is it that you a Jew ask for a drink from me a Samaritan woman and don't, don't the Samaritan woman asked, don't answer this out loud but I'm wondering this morning if you ever felt like the Samaritan woman why would God have anything to do with me Why, Jesus, would you want anything to do with me as messed up as I am? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, verse 10. Excuse me, pull up the the, uh, title slide. I want to take some time this this morning to talk with you about the idea of a divine appointment. Now, I believe everybody that's here this morning, whether you believe, whether you're a lifelong Christian, no matter what, Side of the spectrum you find yourself on I believe God has a divine appointment for you this morning to encounter him If you'll receive it, if you'll receive it, let's just go ahead and celebrate in advance Amen, you may be seated, you may be seated, thank you worship team You sounded good this morning, you sounded good this morning You do realize that someday, for those who will be in heaven It says that that's what we'll do, is worship all the time That'll be incredible, right? That will be incredible how many of you like to take road trips? You like to go driving? I mean, and not even just like necessarily, you know, like a two-day road trip, but you like to just get in your car sometimes and go for a ride. Anybody like to do that? I love to do it. Um, my wife and I, we've kind of always been like that, even when we were younger in Dayton, um, We just like to take on just little, you know, trips. The In fact, last weekend, my wife was doing something, and, and I had my kids, and Uh, We just went riding. We went out by Norse Dam and and just to some local spots. And like, no, we had no destination in mind. And I think that uh, it's important that we see, I mean, this is really for a a completely different message, but a lot of times we get so focused on the destination that we miss the journey of life. We get so caught up in where we're going that we forget where we are. It's, I've, not recently, I have plans, though, to, uh, to go hike in the Smokies, and I shared this with some of our volunteers. There are several times while I've been hiking in the Smokies, which is a beautiful place, that I've been so focused on getting to the top of the mountain that I've missed the views along the way. What we're seeing this morning is that Jesus was on a journey and there's a couple things that I find that are really interesting about this, just like many of you like to travel and, and take rides and go places, especially like if we're going somewhere um, and there's a scenic route, we'll a lot of times take the long way just to view it. We'll just take the, the scenic route just to, to view some things. And, but there's, inter- there's, there's something interesting going on about this story, and it's really kind of the meat of it. And I'm going to explain it to you, but Jesus is on a journey, and we'll look at it. In fact, go ahead and pull, this is John chapter four, verse four. It says, he had to travel through Samaria. Now, when I first read this, my initial thought was like, dang, man, what does Jesus have to do, really? I mean, does he have to do anything? He's God. Why did he have to travel through Samaria? Well, I've got a map, the best one I could find. I want to show you. Do you see Judea down here at the bottom? Yes, pastor. No, pastor. The top, you see Galilee. Jesus is in Judea and he's traveling to Galilee. Right in the middle, you see Samaria. Now, you don't have to be very smart or have a bachelor's degree to know by looking the quickest and shortest route to Galilee is right through Samaria, yeah. But here's what's interesting about that. It's during this first century, Jews did not associate with Samaritans at all. In fact, they despised them. They called it the hated land. They thought it was disgusting. And they would do anything they could at all cost to avoid going to that area. So this is what they would do. You see Judea, and if you go to the east, to that Perea, and then I need a little laser light, but. Right in between the P and the E, you see like these these travel lines going up, the gray dotted lines. You see they go up to the Decapolis. Decapolis stands for 10. It's 10 cities. It was a Gentile area. But right in between that is what we see is like a river. It's called the Jordan River. Anybody ever heard the Jordan River? So what they would do is they would go east of Judea, And they would follow along the bank of the Jordan River all the way up towards the Decapolis, and then they would head west back into Galilee just to get around that land. But it said Jesus had to travel through Samaria. And one thing I'm grateful for this morning is that Jesus will go places that nobody else wants to go to reach people that nobody else wants to reach. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, basically, I'm a Samaritan this morning, you're a Samaritan. I'm so grateful that Jesus will take what appears to be the quickest route, but really it's because he's got a divine appointment. See, what I'm trying to say this morning is maybe you've been some places that were less than desirable, but it's got you to right here where you are in this seat at this very moment, and I believe that God's got a divine appointment for you. Take us back to verse 4. So Jesus had to travel through Samaria. He had to. Continue on. So it says that Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, don't miss this, okay? He was worn out from his journey. And I love this. It says that he sat down at the well. Now, I think there's a lot of things happening here. One, uh, we see that Jesus was fully human, as, as I've already expressed. He was tired. He was worn out from the journey. Maybe some of you this morning have been on a journey and you're tired and you're wore out. And it says it was about six in the evening. Now, I taught this to our volunteers, and I want to know if I can stop preaching just for a moment and teach you all something. Would that be okay? When you read the Bible, this morning I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's just a translation, okay? There's like, I don't know, 200 of them, a lot of translations, I think a logical question that a lot of people ask, particularly new believers, is what translation from I read, should I read from? And let me just give you the answer. Whatever makes sense to you. Okay? Whatever makes sense to you. If you base your opinion on whatever translation you should read off of some, there is no theological basically stamp that says you have to read a certain translation. Did you know that you can make the Bible? Did you know you can make that an idol for you? That's weird, right? So whatever translation makes sense to you is what I'm saying. And you shouldn't feel less holy because you read something different than somebody else. But as we read these translations, what you should understand is that they, are, that they come from different manuscripts. Let me say this. When John was writing this 2,000 years ago, he did not know it was going to be in the New Testament. You understand, right? He did not know that. In fact, none of the books from Genesis to Revelation, none of the authors knew that it was going to be in the Bible. But what happened was, in, I think it was like the 3rd century, 4th century, there was a council at Nicaea, and these men took all these books that had been written, and it formed our Bible. It's what we call our canyon. And what happened then is as people begin to in, in, interpret and translate these, because it was not written in English, they begin to use different manuscripts. So, for example, I write a letter to Jesse, Brandy gets that letter and she translates it in her own language, but as close to the language that I'm speaking as she can. Now, I take that same letter from Jesse and give it to Rodney, and he's going to translate it just a little bit different, but it's going to mean the same thing. Let me give you an example. Uh, last Monday after Easter, my wife and I and family, if you're with me, say I am. I am. I am. My family and I went to Dollywood, okay? Okay. And when we got home that day, I heard my wife talking to somebody on the phone, and they were like, how long were you there? And she said, well, we were there from 10 to 5 p.m. Well, later that day, I was talking to my buddy on the phone. He said, how long were you there? And I said, we were there all dang day, man. (laughs) I meant the same thing she did, right? So I'm reading the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says that they were there at 6 in the evening. This is the New Living Translation. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Big difference, right? Noontime, 6 p.m. What's going on here? Can I trust it? I knew I shouldn't because it's so weird. I don't even understand this stuff anyway. Now it's contradicting itself, so might as well not even read it, right? So again, you you have different translations based off of different manuscripts. Now, this is where I'm going to educate you. You need to hang with me. Um, Back in this first century time, what happens is you've got the Jews who have their own time system. It's based off a 12-hour day. You have the Romans and Greeks who have their own time based off a 12-hour day. So the Jews, their daytime was from sunrise to sunset. Their nighttime was from sunset to sunrise. Make sense? Then you have Romans and Greeks, and their day runs from noon to midnight, and their time runs from midnight to noon. You with me? All right. Now, in the original language, this says that Jesus arrived at the sixth hour. Based off Roman and Greek time, if their day starts at, and it was six hours later, it would be 6 p.m. in the evening. So maybe John, or the author of this, the guys who interpreted the Holman Christian, they thought that John was using the Roman and Greek time, because he wrote this book in Asia Minor. Now, the Jews, their day was from sunrise to sunset, and like in the spring and fall equinox, and typically in Israel, that was about 6 a.m., okay? So it's 6 a.m., the sixth hour from then would be when? Noon, Noon, which is the New Living Translation. So maybe the scholars thought that John was using the Jewish time. Either way, what you can trust is that it's right. It's just dependent upon were you there all dang day or were you there from 10 to 5? You with me? Okay, good. So that's what's going on about that. Do y'all feel smarter? You look smarter. Some of you do. Let's continue on in the story. It says a woman of Samaria was there, uh, Samaria came to draw water. Now, I love this. It says, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, here's what's important about this is Jesus is fixing to have a spiritual conversation with her. And do you suppose that Jesus could have quoted Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Jeremiah and Isaiah and all the prophets and Bible thumped her? Could he have done that? But he didn't. See, he had a conversation based on a common ground. The common ground was she was coming to get water, he was thirsty, so he was like, hey, give me a drink. Because he's trying to open her up to something deeper that we'll see in just a moment. And I think what can be learned from that is those of us who are Christ followers, you don't necessarily have to go hit somebody over the head every time you share your faith. It may simply be, hey, Savannah, do you want to go grab a cup of coffee sometime? Are you with me? I love that Jesus would just meet people where he is, where they are, where he is, at the well, with her. Next verse. Now, he's, we, we skipped ahead just, to, just one verse. It says, he's asked her for that. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And I think what we see here is really the picture of the Savior. He's at a place that's really that no one would go to, that was despised by that country. Hang with me. Despised by Jews, that country Samaria was, the people were. And I think what you see here is that Jesus, the Savior, let me say it like this. The Jews would turn their back on people they despised, but Jesus hung the cross from his back so you could be brought to life. Tag me in it and put me on social media. See, listen, every church should say this, but we mean it. Not that they don't. I'm just saying you're here this morning. I would love for our church to be filled with a bunch of Samaritans. Right? Newsflash. It is this morning. We're all Samaritans. I mean, what would God and his grace and goodness have anything to do with us but him? And His grace and His mercy loves us in spite of us. Amen. Carry on. Jesus answered, I love that when you speak to Him, He talks back. When you speak to Jesus, He will speak back. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask Him, and he would give you living water. And it kind of makes me think this. If you knew who we came to worship this morning and what he was capable of doing, you may ask for a lot more than just a little sip of water. You may ask for a lot more than just to have a good experience here this morning. I want to know, where are you, did you come ready to encounter the living God? I told our volunteers this, this morning. Y'all, y'all are drawing something out of me. I didn't think I could preach it this good, but you're drawing something out of me. I told our volunteers that this morning... This was more important than last Sunday, and this is why you say, Pastor, how can that be? It's Easter. Well, Easter is a great day. Every Sunday is a good day, and we celebrate the resurrection last week. I don't know if I want to stand up or sit down or crawl like a crab. I'm not sure, so just hang (laughs) with me. But last week, we celebrated the resurrection, and that's praise God for it, because without it, our faith is in vain. It is central to our faith. If he did not raise from the dead, this means nothing. But let me tell you why this morning is more important. Can I just be really, really honest with you? Who all was here last week? Let's celebrate if you thought it was awesome. (laughs) Was this room not twice as packed? These curtains were down and we had them packed in here like sardines. That's a great feeling, right? This is why this morning is more important. Because the resurrection is not an event, it's a way of life, it's a perspective. When you've heard of Lazarus in the New Testament and Mary and Martha, they come to Jesus and they're like, hey, our brother is sick, he's going to die. Don't you know that Jesus could have went and healed him before he died, but if he didn't wait till he, was die- that he had died, he could not prove that who he was? In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus told him, he said, I am the resurrection in the life. See, the resurrection is not something he did, it's who he is. And that's the one we're serving this morning. So I wonder, Jesus is saying to us, if you knew who I am, really... My heart's about to pump out of my chest. Do we have any nurses in here this morning? Two, praise Jesus. He said, if you knew the gift of God who is saying to you, give me a drink. Those of you who come in here with problems and you're hurting, you're feeling like the Samaritan woman at the well. You've got financial issues, depression issues, insecurity, relational issues, whatever it may be, I'm starting to spit. Better watch out. You would would ask God and say, hey, I know you can do this. I know you can. Carrying on. So the woman replies, Sir, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep because sometimes God speaks things to us and it means one thing, but we interpret it another way. See, he's trying to give her eternal life. She's just trying to quench some thirst. She says, So where do you get this living water? Now, Jesus goes on to tell her that I am the living water. I'm the living water. You get it from me. It's not a place. It's a person. Do you know that if we all gathered out in the parking lot, that we would still be the church? Amen. We're not going to, but just want you to know. Carry on. So we skip ahead just a little bit. He tells her, I'm the living water. And she says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Now, here again, this is about perspective. This woman thinks that Jesus will meet all her needs, and he will. He certainly will. Can anybody testify to that? He'll meet our needs. Yeah, give him glory. But she's missing the bigger picture here, which I think we often do as well. See, she's looking for a physical, material possession. Give me this bucket. Give me this water. And maybe this morning, maybe this morning, instead of asking God to bless our possessions, we should ask God to bless our perspective. Maybe instead of having another, never having another thing in your life, if you just switched your perspective, Chris, you would see that God's blessed you and already given you the living water. Carry on. Now, I love this. This is so weird. This conversation is just flowing, and Jesus does something really weird right here. He says, hey, go call your husband, he told her. And if you're just reading this, like even right now, isn't it weird that I'm kind of reading that? Because you're like, whoa, I was, let's get back to the water thing, preacher. That's good. But how many of you know Jesus will often end your life for one thing, but then he'll show up and reveal another thing that you got going on? He said, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Take me on. She said, I don't have a husband, she answered. He said, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband. Carry on. For you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. Let's, can we just be honest? Let's take away the church mask, and let's just be real. This lady's been married five times. Now she's with another man. And let's just be honest. Can you think of a couple words, and I hate to even make you think this way in church because I'm your preacher, but can you think of a couple words that our society would call a woman like this today? You know it. But Jesus, in his goodness, had to travel through Samaria to meet this woman because she had a divine appointment with the Savior. See, everything you've been through in life, I don't want to get philosophical and really weird and all that blah blah blah, blah stuff. But the reality is you've been some places, you've been on a journey, you've been at the well where it's dry, and for whatever reason, whatever reason, here you sit this morning. Call it coincidence. You came with a friend. You randomly decided to come. God has a divine appointment for you. I asked you before I started preaching if you would receive it. And a lot of you clapped your hands. And I want you to know that you're in the midst of the meeting with the physician right now. You're in the midst of it. He said, for you've had five husbands and the man you have is not your husband now, which indicates that she's doing everything that she shouldn't be doing with this man. Not only, listen, would our society call her something? I shared this with our volunteers. Could you imagine this morning if instead of me coming out to preach, I was like, hey, I want you all to meet Storm. She's been married and divorced five times. She's got some guy that comes over on the weekends. She's going to be preaching this morning. What would y'all think? Probably wouldn't see you next Sunday. (laughs) But aren't you glad that Jesus chooses who the world rejects? She was an outcast in that society. She would have been today. But she had a divine appointment with the Savior because Jesus had to go there. Now listen, hang with me. Hang with me. I want to go back to a verse that we've already read that you may have thought meant one thing, but I think actually means another. So take us back to that. Verse 11. When Jesus says, hey, give me a drink. I'm the living water. She says, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep. Remember, we just read this. Now, On the front end, I think this could mean literally that she's saying, hey, Jesus, dude, you're sitting here, you're worn out. You don't even have a bucket, Kim. How can you give me something to drink? But see, as the story goes on, we realize that Jesus is getting to a greater issue. And so what I think she's saying here, Tracy... What I think she's saying here is she knows about the five men, the inconsistency in her life. Basically, this woman is not a believer. She is not a follower in Christ. And she knows she is wretched and messed up. So when she says, sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep, she's not talking about Jacob's well. She's talking about her heart. Am I preaching? Can I show you something? The good thing for you is nobody answered, but I have the mic, and I'm up on stage, so I'm going to show you anyway. She said, you don't even have a bucket, Jesus. This is our offering bucket. Pretty cool, right? I think we bought them at Lowe's, took the handles out, and threw some stickers on there. We're fancy around here. She said, you don't even have a bucket. And what's interesting is this, is she knows, she knows that to get to the bottom of her well, you've got to go deep, because it's messed up, it's scarred, it's sinful, it's hurting, it's regretful, it's shameful, It's guilty. And interesting that she would say, you don't have a bucket. What she's doing there is labeling the ability to get what she needs with something. Here's our offering bucket that we passed around a little while ago, which I hope you generously gave to, by the way. But a lot of times, listen, when your life's messed up, you think you need a bucket to fix it. So a lot of times what you'll do in your spiritual life In order to get right with God is, now I'm just being honest, don't get mad at me. I know, I'm afraid I'm going to lose you after I say this, but this offering bucket will come by and you will just tip God, because you want to be right, you want to get your bucket right. If you've got the right bucket, you fill that, you tip it, you're good, your bucket's good. This bucket also represents our church, so you feel like if you could just come to church this morning, check it off your list, that... Me and God are good now. I was close. I didn't make it last Sunday, but I'm here this week, Jesus. You feel like your bucket's good. We're always looking for something to replace someone. Hold this for me. I'll just sit that down there. Now, we all have different buckets. We all, Everybody saying amen, Brother Peyton. We all have different buckets. Now listen, I want to be honest here and say that this in and of itself is not a bad thing. You've not read Scripture right if you see this and you see sin. Amen, Brother Peyton. (laughs) But what happens is when you dive into this bucket to find your joy, when this right here becomes your joy, your satisfaction, your friend, You've missed the mark. See, buckets in and of themselves are not a bad thing, but it's what we try to fill them up with. You're doing such a fine job, Allie, holding that one, too. And then some of us, listen, when life starts going to hell, we grab big buckets. so we throw a little bit of church in here, throw a little bit of prayer in here, throw a little bit of scripture in here, a little friendliness. Instead of being so dramatic and drama queen on Facebook, you post something kind of friendly. I see your post, man. Just because I don't like it or love it, don't mean I don't see it. I'm always, your pastor's always watching you. And we get this big old bucket, and what's interesting about this one is it's it's got a little kind of rough spots around it, kind of like us, the edges, a little rough. But it's got this glossy look to it, and we feel like, hey, if people can just see the outside of my bucket, they don't know what's going on. I got a big mess in here, then I'm good to go. Can I be honest with you? I would rather be in front of someone who is wretchedly broken, drug-addicted, pornography wasting money on than someone who would sit here and act like your bucket's fine. I mean it. Give God, may you, and I mean this, you hear this prayer. God, may you give me a church to lead of Samaritans for I am one. If you've never had a problem in your life, I probably won't be a good pastor for you. But if you enjoy looking at somebody with pretty eyes that can preach pretty good, well, woo! I can fill your bucket up. See, what I'm saying is this. This lady, I don't, everybody laughs when I say stuff like that. I don't ever get any amens when I say it, but I laugh. <laughs> See, what I'm saying is this. That day that lady was looking for a bucket. Maybe this morning you've come to fill your bucket up, but you do not need another bucket. You need a new well. You need some of the living water. You need some of the living water. And Jesus told her, hey, if you know who I am, not only would you ask, but you'd take it. He's ready to give it to you this morning. Here you sit in the doctor's office, the divine appointment, and he wants to know, will you encounter him? Will you let him encounter you? And needless to say, I mean, who was it that had to go through Samaria? Jesus? Yeah. So what we see then is this, is that it was Jesus' choice to go there to meet a woman he knew would be there. She had no idea, and I'm just gonna preach and say this too while I'm thinking about it. This lady, what she was doing was her daily routine when she encountered him. See, a lot of times we feel like we have to be at these extraordinary places, these great conferences, or in these deep Bible studies, or on the mountain up in the Smokies, which is a great place to be. But what I'm trying to tell you is that for you to really encounter God, you just keep doing your same routine that you do every day. Sometimes there's power in the same. Sometimes you don't need to change things, you need to change your perspective, Greg. She was just doing what she did every single day when she encountered him. Like we're always looking for a moment. And it's just in the day-to-day things. Sometimes i leave here, and it's not really about me, okay, but sometimes I'll leave here and I think, man, I could have preached that a little bit better. But I'm probably going to leave here today thinking, dang, I preached that pretty good. So I want to skip ahead a little bit, and this is what's happened. Jesus is beginning to tell her everything about herself because Jesus knows everything about you. And here's what's great. As she's sitting there talking to him, she says, hey, I know that you must be a prophet, but there's one to Christ coming and he's gonna tell me everything. And he said, woman, I am he. You're looking for something this morning, but Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. And what happens is this. So listen, this woman encounters him. I'm almost, I'm getting ready to end. This woman encounters him and not only does it change her life, Read the story with me. This is John chapter 4, verse 39. Now, it says that she goes back to her village. It says, now many Samaritans from that town, listen, believed in him because of what the woman said when she shared her testimony. Hey, can I just, let me give you a little education really, really quickly. When Jesus calls this woman to go back to this town, did you know that she was the first woman evangelist to Samaria? My ladies in here, if you're wondering, can God use you? You better believe he can. Can women preach? She did. Did you know on the morning of the resurrection, the first person that uh, got the news of his resurrection was women? And he said, go tell, go tell the men? My ladies, you ought to be jumping up and high-fiving me right now. <laughs> I'm being serious. There is no gender favoritism with God the whole listen the whole Easter story hinges I'm spitting again, man I want you I'm gonna get go down here and try to get Reagan the whole Easter story our faith revolves around women taking the message if it weren't for them so here this basically listen you know what she is and it's something my time but I want to say because it it's been a really clean message for me if you know me I've it's been I've used some clean language this morning okay But Jesus meets this woman, and he calls her to be the first evangelist to this region. Her, messed up, screwed up, dirty. Now listen, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. You've got a story to tell. You've got a story to tell. And what could God do if you would just be obedient and share your story? Listen, it's your story. You don't have to compare it to somebody else. As always, my story is one written with drugs and alcohol and sex, drugs, rock and roll. And I meet some people sometime they're like, oh, that's not really my story. Well, why don't you give God glory for it and go tell somebody what God kept you from? Now, many Samaritans, I'm going to get to Who thinks I can get to this verse this time? Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. And when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. Verse 40. Therefore, therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days because I think sometimes when you encounter Christ, you just want to linger in that moment a little bit. You just want to stay there. You just want to hang there for a moment. I'll be honest, there's times I've been just riding down the road in my car and just put a song on repeat a thousand times because I just want to linger there in that moment. Hey, Jesus was there one day. He stayed two more days. Jesus rose on the third day. Three is the number of completion and perfection. Verse 41. Now listen, many more believed because of what he said. Do you see how this works here? Let me give you a very practical aspect of it. I am, at this church, God's messenger. I am not God's voice, but I often will be the voice of God for his people here. I will proclaim his word over your lives. Hey, I just feel the need to share this with you. Leave that verse up so I don't forget. Let me tell you what I think one of my responsibilities here as a pastor. It is to preach the word of God faithfully to you, to educate you, to encourage you, to equip you, to be a voice of God here. And by the words I speak over you, that your faith would increase, that you would believe not because of me, but through me, and then you in turn would go out and share, so that you would believe because of me, and that they would believe because of you, and it's just a cycle that keeps going and going. And one of my responsibilities, I think, here is this, and I shared this with a lady the other day in our church, and it was weird because it just came out of my mouth. I never even said it, but I want you to know this. If you're a first-time guest here, then you're like, dude... This is weird, but I want you to look at your neighbor right here, right now and say, he's always like this. Look at your neighbor say, he's always like this. It's nothing new, right? It's not a show if you've been here. It's, amen, it's always like this. One of my jobs, one of my responsibilities as your pastor is this. I want you to try to hang, because if you're not a believer, this is going to be really weird. If you are a believer, then let the Lord testify to your spirit about this. Heather, Hillary, Angie, everybody in here. I believe one of my responsibilities is this. Is God calls me to give a lot of my time to you. And I want to do that. It's my calling. Listen, listen. my calling does not define me, but it is me. Does it make sense? So like Friday at five o'clock, I don't clock out. I don't clock out ever. You're always on my mind. Always on my mind. Now you're thinking me and I'm talking to you. I'm talking to Lottie Dottie everybody in here. And this is what I hope in my prayer. And I think there's so much biblical support for this. I'd love to talk to you about it after service if you're interested. But particularly, there's a case in the story with Moses. But my prayer is this. Is that as you talk with me, I know some of your stories and your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups, And I know the pain that you go through. And so my prayer is this is that there may be days I know that you struggle with it more than others, but my prayer is this, as I pray for you as your pastor over you, basically trying to intercede before you, before God with you, and over you, is that I would be this, that as I feel your pain and your struggle, as I know what you're going through, listen, that I would say, God, would you place that burden on me today and let me fight the fight for him? Moses called out before God and said, Lord, don't do this to my people. Hey, I need, you, I need you to get this right here. I need you to get this. There are times in my week that I pray to carry your burden. It sounds crazy, right? It's a spiritual burden like you can't imagine. That's why you should pray for me. Because I'm trying to carry your burdens. And this is what my prayer is, is that one day I'm carrying your burden. And you just wake up and you have a great day and you don't know why. You don't know why your heart's filled with joy. You don't know why your work day goes good, but I'm at home and I'm carrying a spiritual burden of your weight. That's my job. It's a great responsibility to do what I do. And don't you be fooled by what you look around and see or don't see. It might as well be a 10,000 member church in New York City to me. It's a great burden. And I'm just like you, as a thing, though. I'm not supernatural, I'm just God's called man for this church. Many more believed because of what he said. And then finally, verse 2 look at 42. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, Pastor. I mean, we appreciate you preaching, but now we've met Jesus, we've encountered him ourselves. For we have heard for ourselves to know that this really is the Savior of the world. He's got a divine appointment for you this morning. I'm wondering, have you been here the whole time? Have you encountered him? Do you know that he is still here right now in this moment? Just saying, Listen, I know when the music's good, and I know when the Spirit's here. Don't <laughs> confuse the two. But this morning, the music was good, and now the Spirit is amongst us. And I'm going to call you to respond just hang with me two more minutes this is what I want you to think about if you're here this morning and you feel like the Samaritan woman don't please don't leave this moment don't leave this moment I'm not asking Jesus to stay two more days I'm saying give me two more minutes okay don't get nervous If you're here this morning and you feel like the Samaritan woman, you don't know why God would associate with you because you know how much of a sinner and jacked up you are. That's my story. Would you just ask him to give you some living water? And what the living water represents is a spirit. Would you say, Jesus, would you just pour that spirit out over me? here's the thing. When this Samaritan woman heard from Jesus, the scriptures say that she just went back into town and wasn't even 100% sure who he was. So what I'm saying is you don't have to make this decision and feel like you've got it all figured out. You've just got to trust and take your next step. Now I want to ask you some other questions. Two more. So if you're here this morning you're feeling like the Samaritan woman, you don't know why God won't associate with you. I'm going to challenge you in just a moment. If you're here this morning, And maybe you've had the encounter at the well with Jesus, but you've not went back to your town to share your faith. Maybe you then need to step out and take what you've encountered and go share that with someone else. You are obligated. It is not just for me. You are obligated to share your your faith. And in fact, I believe wholeheartedly that if you have experienced and encountered the risen Lord, you can't help but to share your faith with someone. You can't help it. But remember a spiritual conversation can start with hey you want to go grab some coffee and then lastly if you are here this morning and you're undecided about faith you don't even know you're not even you feel like the Samaritan woman but you don't believe Jesus can meet you there you're not even sure what you think about this whole church thing or or me that's okay what I want to challenge you and I'm going to do it right now is I'm going to challenge you to come back next week let that be your next step. You just agree to come back next week. But for those who feel like you're the Samaritan woman and you don't know why God would associate with you, or those of you who would say you've had the encounter of the Samaritan woman but you've not been sharing your faith, I'm going to ask you just to pray with me right now. You don't have to. You can bow your head and close your eyes. You can stand up or you can sprawl out on the floor. I don't care what you want to do. Let's just pray. And Did you know the early church, they prayed together? So let's pray together. Father God, you are good and you are worthy. We just thank you this morning, Lord, that we can see your scripture, that we can see how this Samaritan woman encountered you, that we can see how, Lord, you will go to the tough places that nobody else wants to go to reach people that nobody else wants to. And here we sit, Lord, a church full of Samaritans, some of us wondering why you would even associate with us because of our past. There are others of us, Lord, who who know that we've met you at the well, but we have not went and shared that experience and encounter with other people. And for those of us who are in here that find ourselves in those spots, Lord, would you just speak now to us? God, that we would just be listening to your voice. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here now that you would testify with our spirit that, that you are Lord and that you will meet us where we are that you've got a plan for us, a divine appointment for us to encounter you. And, and Lord, we pray that as we begin to experience you, that we would share that faith and that many more would believe, not just because of what we've said, but because they have their own encounter with you. And then lastly, Father, I pray as the pastor of this church, Lord, that you would give me the ability to carry burdens for my people, your people, that we would be unified and one mission to make you known to plant churches that plant churches and make disciples that make disciples. Lord, you are great. Great are you, Lord. We worship you now, Father, in spirit and truth. Speak to us. Church, would you stand with me this morning? You give life while love, you bring...